We continue our series on the model church. So if you will, take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. A message today entitled, The Makeup of the Model Church. Before we get to the message, I just want to say a personal word. We're talking about the model church. Quite honestly, today, I see things, not just in our fellowship, I see things across Christendom, across churches, that are really disturbing to me from what I understand the Bible teaches. You see, a church is people, as I will say in a second, people who have chosen to follow Christ. One of the things that disturbs me today is how people seem to come to a, into a fellowship, they walk an aisle, baptized, and there is no life change. Because at the time they come, there is no remorse. There is no godly sorrow. You see, the way we're saved, we come to the place where we understand that Jesus died on the cross for us. That cross that Dana just so skillfully played about. Jesus died on the cross for us. He took the nails for us. He bled for us. He died for us. And he died to forgive us of our sin. We should have been there because we're the sinner. He wasn't. And the way we come to Christ is that we realize he paid that price for us. And then we are convicted. Did you all hear that term? convicted of our sin and a part and parcel of the process of coming to Christ is repenting and turning from our sin the thing that bothers me is people saying they come to Christ for, for their salvation and they're never stirred in their heart there's no sign of, of being sorry that godly sorrow for the sin that nailed Jesus to the cross You see, that's part and parcel of what happens. If there is no repentance, if there is no conviction, if there is no turning from their sin, please listen, there is no salvation. You can be dunked, you can be sprinkled, you can be christened, you can be uh, whatever else. But if there has been no godly sorrow and no change of heart and life, there is no salvation. You can be a part of a group, but you won't be a part of the church. Because... Our Lord Christ makes the way into the church. And he makes the way through the cross, through repentance, through salvation. And if that hasn't happened to you, if you just came and took a preacher, me, or another preacher by the hand, if you then just walked through the waters of baptism and you never came face to face with the truth that if without Jesus you're going to spend an eternity in hell without without a life change that Jesus gives, then... uh, uh, you might want to rethink because with what I see on the, on the national and the international scale today, I'll just tell you, just before New Year's, here's what somebody said to me. He said, Brother Jerry, I expect Jesus to come in 2015. You want to tell you one of the reasons that he could come in 2015? It's because nobody expects him. And now you think not, that's when he'll come. And if he comes, you don't want to be left behind. As we get into Thessalonians, uh, today not so much. It ends with a reference to the second coming. 
But one of the things Paul wrote this letter about was to assure them about the second coming. He doesn't want them to be ignorant, as we'll see next Sunday. To get our scripture in front of us, why don't we stand before we read? I'm going to remind you of this story now, and I'm going to remind you again about third way through the message. Paul had gone to Thessalonica, and he had preached, and things had gone well, and then he got ran out of town on a rail. That's what it says in chapter 2, we were torn away from you. And so now he writes to them a word from the place called Athens, and he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that you were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers... In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sakes before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now. May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. So we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today as we peer into your word, that your word will peer into us. I pray that your Holy Spirit will descend on this place and fill this building, this room, our hearts, change our lives, that we can be the people that you've called us to be, and thus be the church you desire us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning, I want us to think a little bit about the church as we talk about the makeup of the model church. I just want us to, to think about what the concept of the church is today. Now, you and I know this, whether we own up to it or not that the modern-day culture thinks of the church in terms of a building, a place, 
I go to that church down there on Duane. I go to that church on Hueytown Road. I go to that church on 15th Street. I go to that church on Virginia Avenue. And here's what I'll say to you. When you think of the church in terms of a building or a place, you have now lost the biblical concept of a church. And in large measure, that is what we see in our culture today, whether at home or abroad. But the church is a group of people. It is not a building. It is not a place. A church is a group of people who have made the decision to follow Christ by faith, have made the decision to follow Christ by baptism, have made the decision to follow Christ in their lifestyle, and have joined together, now you're listening, and have joined together to complete the mission and ministry that Jesus gave us when he was here on earth. Now, that's the church. So then somebody's going to say, well, what makes a good, you're talking about a model church, what makes a good church, Brother Jerry? I don't think I'm going to get into that. Because a good church, to say there is a good church, would then mean there is a bad church. And if I'm going to explain the good, then I'd have to explain the bad And all I will tell you about good and bad, anything becomes bad when it wears one name and it does something else. You got a business, it's supposed to be a not-for-profit business, and all they do is talk about making money. I mean, we can can go down the list, talk about a church, it's supposed to be a church that's dispersing and dispensing the love and the gospel and the grace of God. And all they do is fuss and fight. But let's jump and let's just talk about the model church and what it takes to become a model church. You see, a model church is one that is so much like the original church, the first century church, that that first church that exuded with the love and the grace and the message and the hope and the word of God. A model church is one that so emulates them that watch this, that it is an example in the culture of what a church should be. The church of the living God. Have I lost you already? The church of the living God focuses on God. The church of the living God honors God. The church of the living God glorifies God. The church of the living God worships God passionately. The church of the living God shares God's good news with a world that is so desperate for the truth that they're believing anything they can get their hands on. The Word of God, uh, the church of God stands on the Word of God, stands on the truth of God. And you know what else about a model church that stands this way and is this unique and, and is this spiritually special? The culture sees that church. They understand that that church is different. They understand what it, what's going on. They, under, they recognize that it is different. And here's the truth. They know that they're a, a model church, not because of what they do on Sunday. Although, although, lives are changed when people are seen authentically worshiping God. People come into this building and they see God's people passionately worshiping God, clapping hands, raising hands, raising hearts, raising voices, raising heads toward heaven, 
trying to connect with Him. Many people's lives have been changed just by the mention of that. But here's what I'm going to tell you is that the model church is not a model church just because of what they do on Sunday. It is because of how they live, how they love, and their life on Monday, how much they care. I want to give you a warning at this point. Let me just pause a second. Just kind of put a period there. Let me pause a second and give you a warning. Have you ever heard anybody say, or have you ever said, if our church would only... I mean, fill in the blank. If our church would only have small groups, if our church would only uh, have um, go into the community, if our church would only, and you can fill in the blank. Let me just tell you to be careful about that. Because you know what you're saying when you say that? You're saying, if I would only. If I would only do this, if I would only do that, if I would only do something else. Because you are the church. I am the church. And the model church that we're going to talk about is not filled with perfect people, but what it is is filled with people who have made the decision to do their very best to follow Christ in life, love, action, and attitude because they've been to the cross of Christ that I was just talking about. They have bowed their knees and they made a personal decision to trust Christ, to follow Christ, to live like Christ. Paul did that. Now, it's true that God got Paul's attention different than he got everybody else's. But Paul made the decision to follow Christ. You know what makes up a model church? A model church is made up of model brothers and sisters. People who are living like Christ. People who are responding like Christ. People who are acting like Christ. People who care for one another like Christ. And so from our text today, if a model church is filled up with model brothers... There is no brother that is more of a model than Paul is. So from these churches and from the life of Christ, I want to suggest to you this morning that he's offering us at least three characteristics that make up a model brother. Now, if you're on your devices, you, hopefully you pulled it up. You can, pull up, you can flip over the back of your bulletin and follow along. Let me just give you three qualities. The first quality that we see from Paul is what I would call an unusual concern. An unusual concern. Now, if I'm going to say it's an unusual concern, I better tell you what a usual concern is. Most of us are concerned about people. We're concerned about our spouses. We're concerned about our children. We're concerned about our parents. We're concerned about our grandparents. We're concerned about our great-grandparents. Sometimes we're concerned about our extended family. Sometimes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Are you that spiritual that you don't know what I'm talking about? We're concerned. We're, we're concerned about, you can toss some friends in there, we're concerned about friends. But what are we concerned, what, at what level are we concerned for our, for our family and friends? Most of the time they center around two truths. We're concerned about their health. And we're concerned about their happiness. And as long as they, we can perceive that they're healthy and they're happy, then we're good. But I, ask, I want to say this to you. The unusual concern takes it to another level. 
The unusual concern of a model brother or sister is not just about the physical. I want you to see here the depth of Paul's concern. The depth of Paul's concern. And to do that, let's just rehearse that story that I started a while ago about how the church began, about how this church began. If you want to read about it, you can go back to Acts 17. Don't do it now. Do it later. Acts 17, Paul and his team, Paul, uh, Silas, and Timothy came to town. Paul preached. It tells us three weeks in the temple, in the synagogue. He preached. People got saved. He planted the church. He started discipling. And then he got ran out of town. Did y'all get that? He started the church, and it was a good church. People began to follow Jesus. He discipled them, and then he got ran out of town. In fact, the pressure in Thessalonica was so intense that they dragged a man named Jason, a member. They couldn't find Paul and the team, and so they dragged Jason and some of the other members out into the street. And you know what accusation they leveled against them? You can go back and read it. These guys are turning the world upside down. I just want to say this to you. If we were to get God's hot heart and flip the world today, we would be turning the world right side up. Because as far as I'm concerned, this world is upside down right now. But wouldn't you like for this church to be the model church that people go, man, they're turning our community right side up. See, Paul had been there with these, with these folks, and he had, saw, he had seen them come and to trust Christ, to know Christ, to follow Christ. Then he had to leave town, and he left there, and he went to Berea. had a fruitful ministry, and then from Berea, he went up to Athens, and that's from Athens where he is so concerned. He may have gone to two other towns, but his heart is still back at Thessalonica. He is concerned about these folks. He's concerned about their walk with Christ. He's concerned about what they're doing, if, if, if they're even standing strong. And I know this from verse 1, if you want to see this depth of his concern. When we could bear it no longer, verse 5, when I could bear it no longer, you see, everywhere he went, he was concerned. His heart was still back. It's kind of like, y'all remember that old song, I left my heart in San Francisco? He left his heart in Thessalonica. He was concerned about them. He was concerned about their spiritual walk with Christ. That is what the model brother is about. That's that unusual concern the model brother has about their spiritual walk. I'm going to have to hasten. But his, his, the death of his concern morphed into a dread. D-R-E-A-D. You know what that was? You find it down in verse 5 and verse, up in verse 3. He said, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you. And verse 3, that no one be moved. That means shaken. That means disturbed. That means unsettled. You know what Paul was concerned about? He was concerned that the, that the times had gotten so tough that these young believers had walked away from the faith. That's the unusual concern of a model brother. For years and years, in this country, I can't speak to another country. I've never pastored or served there. We had basically two groups of people in any community. We had 
the unchurched people and the church people. And it's sad to say in many communities, those two groups of people didn't get together very much. Today we have a third group of people in the mix. We have de-churched people. Those are the used to's. Those are the once did's. I suggest to you, just based on my experience, that many times these folks who were once in, at least involved in the church, many of them tell me that they had such horrendous experience in God's church that they never want anything to do with it ever again. You know what it reminds me of? I know we got some nurses here that will fix me later if I'm telling this wrong. We are told every year to get a flu shot. And then we're told that, that flu shot don't really work. Hello? You know what they inject into you when you get a flu shot? Just a little bit of that disease. I know it's more complicated than that, but in simple terms, they, they inject just enough into your system so that your body will produce antibodies so that you will not contract the full-blown disease. May I suggest to you that's what I, su- I submit. That is one of the things going on in the American church. They come in and they get church. They get just a touch of Christianity, just a touch of what it might feel like to follow Christ. And then they develop this immunity. And that's why the Bible says it's more difficult to reach those folks who have once been apart. And yet the model brother was concerned about these folks becoming like that. Luke's gospel, Jesus talks about the cares of this life and how they can weigh them down. And the writer of Hebrews says, let us throw aside all the weights that so easily tear us down. Those who have the ability are going to tempt us to walk away from God's work. And the model brother wants to stand in the gap and stop the process. That's that unusual concern. But then Paul takes it a step further from from the depth of his concern to the dread of his concern to the desire of his concern. You find the desire at the end of verse 2. We sent Timothy, (coughs) excuse me, verse 2, our brothers and co-workers in the gospel. Here it is. The model brother's desire is to establish and exhort you in the faith. Establish means to strengthen. To exhort means to encourage. You know what some of us need in our faith? Please listen. We need a little encouragement from the person sitting down the pew. It may just come in the form of a smile. It may come in the form of a nod. It may come in the form of a pat on the back. You know, you're doing a really good job. Jessica, you and Samantha are doing a great job with our kids on Sunday night. We, just, we need to encourage one another. Hello? That's what we need to do if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be. You see, for the church to be a model church, this one unusual concern must exist that we care for, we love, we edify, we uphold, we encourage one another. You know, if we could be just known as the encouraging place, 
We might not have enough room to put people on this five acres. You see, the truth is, it has to go beyond the physical. Oh, we're concerned about people physically. But are we concerned about people spiritually? Let me give you two examples. heard a message that my son preached up at the Connect Church in Lake Gunnersville. This is what he said. He said, parents, he was preaching, he's a student pastor, and he was preaching for a senior pastor in the middle of a series and, and helping all the families. And he said, parents, he said, many of you, you make sure your kids have the opportunities you want them to have. You spend hundreds of dollars on sports equipment, hundreds of hours taking them to rehearsal and recitals and practices, and, and you're going to make sure that your kids had the opportunities they didn't have, that you didn't have. Well, what happens when it comes to this book? You just leave it up to them. Ooh. What I will tell you about this, about this desire, this unusual concern, every person in this building, if you heard a friend had a heart problem, you would do three things. You would pray. You would pray. And you would pray. It wouldn't matter whether it was a blockage. It wouldn't matter if it was CHF. It, w- it, w- it wouldn't matter if it was AFib, tachycardia. If you heard your friend had a heart problem, you would go to the Lord in prayer. But what happens when a friend has a spiritual heart problem? What happens if that blockage comes in such a way that the You know the love of God and the Word of God is flowing in, but it's not flowing out and it's being blocked. What happens if it's spiritual congestive heart failure where not enough of the Holy Spirit is being allowed to to work that heart to keep it healthier? Or what happens if it's it's AFib and just it, it works right sometimes and it doesn't work right sometimes? Do we care? Do we pray? about their spiritual condition? The model brother does. And a model church is made up of model brothers and sisters with an unusual concern. Second thing I see here, not only did he have an unusual concern, but he had an undeniable comfort. Okay, now wait a second. We're not talking about being comfortable. We're not talking about being convenient. We're not talking about luxury. That's not the comfort it is. This comfort is Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica to find out how they were doing. And uh, Paul found himself comforted. He found some reassurance. He found some consolation. He found some solace, some solace from... from Timothy, how? First of all, through the report. Through the report. A report came back to Paul that they were doing good. Paul knew that he couldn't go, and you find out as you read that Satan stopped him from going. Now, we don't know. We don't know how Satan manifests himself. We don't know if Satan just showed up bodily and stopped him. We do know this. Watch this. 
The people who opposed Paul in Thessalonica, they were such wicked and evil people that when Paul went to Berea and preached and people started getting saved, those same folks from Thessalonica heard that Paul was doing good work up there, and so they left their hometown and they followed him up there to oppose him. Perhaps they followed him on into Athens. Perhaps he knew that if he tried to go back that they were watching him and he would cause the church more trouble than good. But for whatever reason, Paul couldn't go back. So he sent Timothy, and Timothy came back and gave a good report. Now, Paul trusted and respected Timothy. He was someone that, that Paul was trying to train in the ministry. And here was the report. Their faith is vibrant. They're strong in the faith. Their love is strong. And guess what, Paul? They still like you. Oh. They still like you, Paul. I mean, look at it. It says that right there. They still long for you. <coughs> now, you can't appreciate this if you've not moved around in your life. I was, I was reading this, Brother Terry. I know you and June moved around. I, I was reading this, and I'm thinking about, <clears throat> why wouldn't Paul think they liked him? And I got to think about all the churches that I've served over the past almost 40 years. And how many times I have returned to a church with a little trepidation of whether they wanted to see me or not. Do y'all get what I'm saying? Now, most of the time it was wrong. Most of the time I was wrong, and they, I was welcomed with open arms. Most of the time. Most of the time. But certainly that's what was going on with Paul. He said, look, he said, Timothy said, Paul, they long to see you just like you long to see them. But Paul wasn't worried about his popularity. He was worried about their spirituality. He was worried about their stickability. He wanted to make sure that they were in the, in the, in the faith. And when he got the report, his initial reaction was... He was comforted. The reaction that he had was that he was comforted. You find that in verse 8. And that word comfort, that word comfort is the same as the word, is the same as the word uh, exhort up in verse 2. It means that he was comforted. This was his reaction. He, he was comforted by what they did. Even in the face of persecution. And he says, look guys, you want, to see, you want to hear his reaction? He says, "If you're, we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. We live if you're standing. See, the most important thing to a model brother is that their brothers and sisters are standing in the Lord, walking with the Lord. May I say this to you teenagers? One of the greatest things that I pray for you is that you walk in the Lord. That you don't succumb to this environment that we know that you're in. We... I can't even imagine the environment they're in. I remember what I was in 40 years ago, and it's changed. It's gotten worse. It's gotten darker. It's gotten harder. And I pray that you're able to bring that faith that you have, that you have learned from the counts and the studies and the disciple nails, those times that you felt close to the Lord, that you can bring them into the school, that you can be the one turning the culture upside down. Adults, I pray for you that you stand fast in the Lord in the face of persecution. Paul was praying as the model brother that these Thessalonians were standing fast in the Lord, but his reaction soon became a response. You know what his response was? He threw a party. Watch this. He said, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy we feel. You see, his happiness all of a sudden turned to joy. He kind of got under the spout where the glory came out because of how they were following Christ. 
He wanted to reconnect with them. He wanted to see them again. He wanted to teach them again. If you look there, it says in the last part of verse 10, I want to see you face to face so I can supply what is lacking in your faith. In your faith. That's a very interesting word, particularly today. You know, the truth is, leading and teaching in this culture is difficult at best. Somehow, the Spirit has, has permeated the congregation, most congregations, that they know best. And it's very difficult to lead. I, 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 I'm never amazed. I don't say a lot about it in a conversation, but I never cease to be amazed, Brandon. When I talk to somebody, and they're going to tell me how the church is supposed to be, what the church is supposed to do, how the church is supposed to act, what it's supposed to be about. And it's obvious to me that, that their concept didn't come from God's Word. It came from somebody or just, you know, sometimes we feel like that we grow by osmosis. Sometimes we feel like we grow spiritually by osmosis. Now, you remember what osmosis, how many of you, you remember the word, but how many of you remember what it is? It's, where, it's the movement of molecules from a higher concentration area into a lower concentration area. And scientifically, if you have a higher concentration, maybe of an aroma, but some kind of molecule, and you have a lower concentration over here, and there's an opening between there, science tells us that you put them together and they'll even out. That works in science, but it doesn't work spiritually. I used to think it did. I used to try to rub shoulders with everybody I thought walked with God because I thought it would rub off on me. But here's what I'll tell you. I, as the lesser, did not pull the greater down. And the truth is, osmosis, there's no effort. If we're going to grow spiritually, if we're going to sense the joy of the Lord, if we're going to walk with the Lord, if we're going to serve the Lord, it requires action on our part. And that's what the model brother's concerned about. The people who have kind of got one foot inside the church and just kind of gone to sleep. Paul was excited because these folks were giving as well as getting. And the reason he was so excited, now watch this. We wear our prayer pins. I'd like to ask everybody to stand who has a prayer. I'm just teasing. I was going to ask everybody to stand who had a prayer pin on, and everybody in the room is going to stand except our student minister because it's still in the dryer with him, all right? But, but we should be praying first. You know the reason Paul was so cared for, cared for these folks so much? Because it tells us there he prayed night and day for them. They were his heart. That brings us to the last quality. Have you got the two qualities? An unusual concern, an undeniable comfort, and number three, an unwavering confidence. You really just speak to American people when you talk about confidence because, yeah, man, I'm confident. <laughs> We're not talking about you having confidence in you. That, that breeds of arrogance. And arrogance leads to pride, and pride comes before the fall. 
Paul's confidence was not in himself. The confidence of a model brother is not in himself. It is a steadfast, a strong, and a solid confidence in none other than Jehovah God and his son Jesus. Paul ends what I think is almost a prayer of benediction in verses 11 through 13. I can see him raising his hands if he would deliver this in person. And I can see him saying, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming. Here comes the first hint. At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Paul says you can be confident that the Lord's going to do a couple of things. And here's what I will tell you. First of all, be confident in the Lord that, first of all, He will reconnect us. Paul had been torn away from those folks. He will reconnect us. Do you understand that our Lord is all about reconnecting us? He prefers to reconnect us down here so we can get ready for heaven. But if we don't let Him reconnect us down here, He'll connect us in heaven one day if we walk with Him. He will reconnect us because we're one family. We're one body. We're bought by one blood, by one death. We have one spirit that we walk in. He will reconnect us. May the Lord, may the Lord reconnect us. The second thing, for the sake of time, he says not only will he reconnect us, but he will reform us. Did you realize that reformation is a part of the Christian life? That is what I was trying to tell you at the beginning of the service that is falling on deaf ears in America today. When we come to Christ, He reforms us. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. That's the transformation. Old things are passed away. Reformation. All things become new. Confirmation. It is that old things passed away that's getting in the way of so many people in so many churches today that we're hanging on to the old. We're hanging on to our old sin. We're hanging on to our old life. And God says, turn it loose and let it go. He will reconnect us and establish our hearts blameless. <laughs> Man, he is going to have to do some work on this old boy if I become blameless. I know me. Don't look so pious at me. He's going to have to do some work on you too. I know you. You see, the truth is, our Lord comes to reform us. But you know what? He has done the work to reform us He will reform us, and He continues to reform us if we'll let Him. He wants to make me holy. He wants to make you holy. And He has made the way to make us holy through Jesus and that cross that we sang about. At the cross, I'll find forgiveness. At the cross, I'll find release. At the cross, I'll find meaning. At the cross, I'll find peace. You see, He takes an old sinner's heart. And he gives it, he doesn't give it the once over. He just does a heart transplant. And in that new heart, here's this place for him to come and reside. And he takes up residence. And then he'll guard our heart if we'll let him. But here's what I'll tell you. He still leaves it to us. Oops. I just blew some theologues out in the water. Because here's what I'll tell you. Jesus 
wants to assume the throne of our life. He wants to make us sorry enough, convict us of our sin, that we will turn from our sin. And there is not anybody in this room, I don't care who you are, who does not love the sin that he keeps doing. And when you love the sin you keep doing and Jesus convicts you of it and you choose to turn from it, you choose to listen to his voice, it's going to hurt. And it's going to hurt two ways. First of all, you're going to turn loose of something you don't want to, don't want to turn loose of. And number two, you're going to feel ashamed in front of one that loves you so much. You see, our God wants to reform us. We can have that confidence. But you know the last thing, that last line? The model brother that makes up the model church has an unwavering confidence that one day he will return for us. It's the first time Paul actually mentions it, and yet this is what the letter kind of centers around. You see, the model brother... has one eye on the church body, one that one eye also on the fields that are wiped for harvest. But he's got another eye on the eastern sky because he knows one day, without warning, that eastern sky is going to open up and Jesus is going to walk through and the only people that are going to go with him are the people that know him. We can have confidence that when that reunion day comes, that everybody will be reconnected and rejoined. This corruptible body will be transformed into incorruption. The dead in Christ. Don't you want to be by a a cemetery when Jesus comes back? Don't you want to be there to see the dead in Christ rise first? You know why they rise first? Because they got eight foot further to go than we do. We'll get to the rest of that next week. Let's just end. A model church. Is made up of model believers that have an unusual concern, an undeniable comfort, an un- that undeniable comfort of the way that we are find solace and reassurance, and an unwavering confidence that one day Jesus is going to come back and He's going to re- reconnect us because He's reformed us. It also means. It also means. That the model brother finishes this sentence. If only my church would love more, care more, minister more. The model brother ends this sentence that way. I will. I'm not going to wait on George. We're not going to let George do it. We're not going to let somebody else do it. But we stand in the gap because we love him and what he's done for us. And we take up his cross and follow him. And we share his love. We share his life. We share his gospel with everyone we meet. Let's pray together.